Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing, episode number 113. On today's show, we are 40% Google with Savers and Field Trip, 40% Payments with PayPal and GoBank, and all in with Red Stripe's latest local initiative. Plus, special guest Dan Foreman of Lumi Mobile comes on to talk about the death of surveys. Coming up right now. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode number 113 of This Week in Location-Based Marketing, recording this live between Asif Khan and myself on this Friday, January 18th, 2013. My name is Rob Woodbridge from Untether.tv. It is that place you've come to rely on to get a little bit of insight, a little bit of background into how to build a mobile business, a pervasive computing business from the mouths of those people that are doing it. I, I, I'd actually love it if you could go check it out, Untether.tv, with me. As always, for the other 112 episodes, Mr. Asif Khan. Asif, buddy, welcome back. Thanks, Rob. Uh, yeah, uh, always happy to do this show, man. It's, it's awesome every week to do it with you. Asif Khan, Location-Based Marketing Association, if you don't know who we are by now. Um, yeah. Um, Big week. Just, just phenomenal. You just, just got back from yeah. a great week. So. Well, let's talk about that, because you just got back from, from New York City, two huge events in New York City. Our, our syndicate partners... I mean, I don't know. Uh, these guys are great uh, from uh, Street Fight Mag. They did their uh, their event down there. And, and then you were down there for the retail conference, big retail conference. Yeah, the NRF, National Retail Federation's big show, uh, which is, it is a big show. 25,000 people oh, attend that show. That's, that's too big. Um, that, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. It's the entire Javits Center. Um, just <laughs> like filled with exhibitors and people and lots of retailers and, uh, and lots of energy. So, yeah. It was a busy week. Well, I mean, why don't we start with the Street Fight Mag? We'll just do a quick review of it because we got some great stories and incredible stories. We got our five stories, our, our guest of the week, obviously, uh, some funding and acquisition news and our resource of the week. But I really want to uh, focus on uh, Street Fight Mag because we love these guys so much, very, very much. Tell me about this event. It was a sold out event. How many people? Over 400 people to this event? About 400 people, Good yeah. It was, it was a great event. Uh, you know, right down in Soho, and uh, um, you know the uh, j just top quality speakers. You know, if you're in the, in the hyper local, in particular space in the news industry, and you know deals and and, and couponing and, and you know anything like that. Um, you know, it was a great event to be at. I mean, uh, just just quality of speakers and panels. Um, you know, uh, folks from Groupon, folks from PayPal. You know, uh, American Express, Patch. Uh, you know, j just a whole range of, of great people. Spun, uh, Scott Lindenbaum, who we just had on the show the other week, uh, he was in the room. Um, you know, investors from DFJ Gotham, uh, Hearst Ventures. I mean, you name it. It, it was just a, uh, it was just a great, uh, a great mix of companies. I love the fact that you got to say hi to Scott uh, because he's a great guy. His company is great as well. Uh, you, you said something surprising to me that I think that it was you. You were taken aback um, around uh, Warren Webster, who's the co-founder of Patch. Well, I mean, he impressed you. Yeah, you know, you know. So here's the interesting thing. So, so first of all, um, you know, it, the the core of, of the event was you know panel presentations, uh, you know, moderated panel sessions. But there were a few one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews, and they brought in um, you know Jeff um, from um, oh, uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, Forbes. 
who does write, who also writes for uh, for Street Fighter every once in a while, and, and he interviewed Warren Webster, who's one of the co-founders of uh, of Patch. And you and I, you know, we've talked about Patch on this show uh, a few times over the last 112 episodes. I, uh, you know, I, I for sure, and, and I think you also, you know, have not been very supportive uh, of, of what they've been doing in the last little while. Um, you know, but in listening to Warren uh, and, and him talk about the, the, you know, what they've been doing, and, you know, and I love the phrasing of it, too. I mean, the, the session was called The Patch Experiment. Experiment. Um, and, um, you know, and, and he was very clear that, you know, they... You know, you know, it's been a struggle in some cases, but uh, in other cases, you know, it's starting to work, and, and they're starting to see some real revenue, some significant revenues, like the multi millions of dollars in revenues, uh, starting to flow through some of the local patch uh, sites, and uh, you know, and, and the plans that he was alluding to in terms of where they're going. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I won't say I'm a uh, a, a true believer yet. Uh, but I am certainly much more optimistic, thanks to Mr. Warren Webster, uh, than I was before I uh, got into into that uh, room. Wow! Wow! Well, that's that's huge. I mean, you know, I think that um, the tide of business how it ebbs and it flows, right? Because once one day we can talk about a company that is down in the dumps, and the next day that very same company that everybody's written off, that very same company turns it around, and their stock price rises, and and the, their outlook becomes a little bit rosier. I mean, maybe it happens with Patch. It certainly seems to be happening with RIM these days and the excitement around BBOS 10. And I think that these yep. are the kind of things that happen, right? Is that, you know, you're a hero, you're a dog, you can become a hero again. And uh, maybe maybe that'll work for Lance Armstrong. I, I, I just don't think so. Right? Uh, so Patch has a chance here. Wow. You heard it. Yeah. Wow. Yep. What, else was, what else was significant there? Does anything really stand out aside from, from that interview? Yeah, you, you know, I, I think... Uh, there's overall, I would say what what really kind of stood out for me was a a, a level of maturity amongst the companies that were up there talking that many of them I'd seen before a year ago, two years ago, uh, you know, didn't really know what they were doing, what they were talking about, trying all kinds of crazy things. Um, you know, a bit of that shakeout is, is, you know, we've gone through some of that now, right? There's been deals in the space. There's been, you know, M&A activity. Um, and, and it was very clear to me that you know there, there seems to be a level of stability and maturity coming now around location-based platforms. Uh, people are getting a better feel of what retailers want, what merchants want, um, how to deliver it to them, you know, how to make mo make money from some of these things. So uh, overall, I would say that's kind of the sense I'm coming out of it with, with. A little bit. Uh, that's good. Maturation is always good in this industry, and and to see it. Quarter after quarter, year after year, I, I, I mean, we still don't think that the shakeout is complete yet. We're still looking for those no. really, truly innovative companies that are going to, you know, kind of lead us to the next evolution of this industry. But, but it's good that people are starting to think. At least, you know, we've been talking about it for 113 episodes, this yeah. included. I'm still saying, I'm still saying, bye bye Foursquare. So there you go. You know, it's it's funny because uh, one of the stories that we're going to be talking about here, basically. You know, they, they call this, they've called the death of Foursquare 77 times whenever, you know, when Facebook gets into this business, when Google gets into their business and and it, it has never materialized. But maybe this time, one of the stories, our second one, Scout Mob and Field Trip, which is a Google company coming together to be able to, maybe they're talking about this as being the death of Foursquare again. I mean, that company has been dead so many times. Maybe it just, it's, it, it doesn't exist. It's been dead so many times. So 
Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's a whole bunch of events. I love this because uh, February, March, April, uh, Event Central, we're going to start to see some big announcements. Obviously, CES. I mean, if you wanted to go and buy a television, you could have gone to CES. But it sounds like, you know, for, for this industry, Street Fight is the place to be for, for literally on the ground, grassroots companies. Yeah, for sure. I, I, and, you know, they run, uh, you know, fall and... Uh and uh, spring conferences, um, you know, East Coast, West Coast, and uh, yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, you got to be there. So anyhow, all right, well, let's jump in. Great, great job. Well, good, 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 good. Well, let's jump, let's jump into the uh, our, our our stories of the week. They're they're big stories, little stories, which is exactly what we've got. We got f our five stories, and we're going to jump right into those right away. No preamble, no ramble. First story: Google Zavers. They launched this thing, Google Zavers. They bought a company in 2011 called Zave Networks. And uh, unlike our good friend Scott Kvitten at Urban Airship, it took them a considerable amount of time to get this thing out there, which is Google Zavers, which is this a Groupon killer? I don't know about that, but, but what I will say is, is that uh, I think this, you know, I'm not the biggest fan, as you know, on some of the Google uh, offerings that have come in the marketplace. I think they, they've struggled with some of them. But this is one that I think has a good shot. I Actually, these guys had a, a big Google Zavers booth at NRF uh, at, the, at the show. I went in there. I spent some time looking at it. The demo was awesome. Okay. Uh, like, I mean, when it comes to well-designed, aesthetically pleasing, visual, visually, uh, you know, from an app perspective, this is one of the ones uh, that, you know, stood out for me this week. Um, you know, it's... Uh, so I really like I it. See. Whether they execute now, um, you know, it, it is a different story. But, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the look and feel of the app, it's great. You know, I don't know what happened to Google. They, they, they've hired some incredible UI and UX people because this generation of Google applications uh, is drastically different. They are beautiful app, we, apps. We've talked about this before. They, they just, they seem to be on a roll with, uh, this is their time for UI and UX experimentation and, and beauty. So uh, Zavers is an interesting is an interesting play. Why don't you describe it so that for those people who don't know what it is, what is Google Zavers? Yeah, so basically it's it's a uh, coupon and loyalty app um, that, uh, so, so you're on retail websites and, and such, you find coupons that you like, and then you can save them uh, to, the, uh, to the app in a similar way that you would have a passbook uh, application on an iPhone. Um, so, you know, this is all about collecting coupons, storing them in a place, you know, serving them up in a, in a you know, location framework, um, you know, and we'll see whether that works. But yeah, again, I, I really like the, the, the feel of this app. Um, and then, it, you know, the other part of it is data. So this is all about, you know, card-linked kind of loyalty, right, on the other side. So, you know, and, and which you know I'm a huge fan of. Like, that, that whole redemption issue around, you know, um, you know problems and, and friction in the ecosystem around redeeming a coupon, um, you know, in many cases can be easily solved by linking to a, an existing plastic loyalty card or credit card like Amex did with Foursquare. You know, all that kind of stuff. And so they're effectively providing that same functionality in the Zavers platform as well. So I think it's got a good shot. Uh, I like it. Uh, we'll see where it goes. 
This is this is one of those things that uh, you know you land on a on a uh, retailer's website. There's a, a Zaver coupon that you can download or you can save to your account, and then once you're in that account or once you're in that store, you can apply the discount or the coupon to it. It's just it's seamless, and uh, certainly with the with the knowledge that Google has on you, it rivals obviously Facebook. There are some serious customization op opportunities for these guys, especially around location as well. This is this is pretty cool. I'm with you on Google Zavers. If you want some more information about uh, Google Zavers, it's pretty simple. I think you just go to google.com, have you ever been there, forward slash get forward slash Zavers, Z or Z, A-V-E-R-S, get slash Zavers, if you're interested in that. Okay, our second story, here it is. Here is the death of Foursquare for the 78th time. Scout Mob partnering with Field Trip. Funny, I mean, so Field Trip is another Google company, isn't it? It is. So, you, you know, we, the interesting thing here for me is obviously, you know, you, you launch Zavers on the one, uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, you, you know, you, you do a partnership with, uh, you know, outside company in Scout Mob uh, and another one of your location-based deal apps. Uh, you know, I, I guess the good thing from a Google perspective is, is, you know, we're not putting all our eggs in one basket. Um, but that's sometimes that's a bad thing, right? Because, you know, you, you can slice the pie too thinly and, uh, and not get enough traction around one particular offering. For me, um, you know, from a Scott Mob perspective, this is a great deal. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Scout Mob. Scout Mob, uh, you know, only exists in, in a couple uh, small regional markets at the moment. So for them, this is a great way to go national. Um, you know, and um, the other nice thing about, about this in particular is, is that, you know, uh, I was talking to, uh, to Dave from Scout Mob, and, and uh, he was at Street Fight. And, uh, you know, I, I actually posed a question to the, uh, to the panel that was up there talking about uh, deals. Uh, around you know the opportunity for syndication uh, of deal content, and you know because because I think you know as a standalone deal only platform, you know serving just your community of however many you know few hundred thousand or a couple million users that you have, you know it's gonna you have to think is a difficult thing to monetize and scale and grow. You know just look at you know the whole experience that Groupon has has had to go through, uh, but. You know, if you've got you know uh, credibility and a good sales force, and you can generate deal content, you know, syndicating that content into as many platforms as possible starts to make sense. So, so I really, really like you know this move by from a scout mob perspective. I, I think this is fantastic. Um, you know, and the field trip app also is another nice, visually pleasing, well designed app. So. This, yeah, this is the same thing is that, you know, when it comes to this, uh, you know, Scout Mob for those, uh, Scout Mob is an interesting company. Field Trip is an interesting company. Field Trip it literally um, kind of puts digital placards around buildings or historical significant uh, locations or restaurants or anything like that. It brings in other services like Yelp. It brings in services like Zagat, Thrillist, the Food Network, Eater and, and Cool Hunting. So it's already it's already tagging the location. So adding that that layer of, of deal on top of it seems like a natural logical fit. And I I, I think that this is this is probably a, a very 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 good uh, combination. Now the other thing that they were saying is that I read it somewhere that um, part of me as I find it here is because uh, in an article in, uh, in Pando Daily they talked about the fact that in fact Foursquare has um, Scout Mob also delivers deals through Foursquare as well. So, I mean, th this is what you're talking about, that syndication piece. 
is that yeah but the difference one of the key differences between foursquare and field trip is you know foursquare in order for you to get right. that deal or have that deal content surface you have to check yeah. in you have to share your location yeah. with field trip it's just running in the background all the time it's ambient so and it's running and it's running really about um a, you know it's a running an effective ambient in an effective ambient nature not like the other ones where certainly there's been a lot of uh, criticism about uh, applications that run in the background and draining battery and, and certainly field trip um doesn't do that as much, so it's part of their technology. But it is a, it's a pretty, there's so much nepotism here. Now that we're talking about small semantic differences, like you have to check in versus it runs in the back that make the difference between a good or a bad experience. And I think that, you know, Foursquare has their radar product that they've just seemed to have blatantly ignored, and they don't believe that the always-on, always-connected notification world is ready for this yet. And I think that maybe they should start thinking that way because it might pass them by before everybody they think it's ready for everybody, and uh, that's one of the challenges. So Scout Mob, Field Trip, Google, everywhere in our first two stories. Very cool. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, you, you know, when you talk about granddaddy, our third story, you talk about the granddaddy of uh, mobile payments or any kind of payments online, it, it, you've got to think you default to, to PayPal, right? That's PayPal has been, you know, as yep. you said, I mean, it's one of the, the companies to watch, but PayPal has been one of the companies that has been there since the beginning. They pioneered pretty much this whole world of digital payments without credit cards. They've done a great job tying it to your bank account. I mean, it's incredible what they've done. People hate them or love them. It's that kind of black or white. And so now you take that company as the granddaddy of uh, digital transactions, and you take the great, great, great grandfather of all transactions, NCR, and mash them into something like this. And you've got this massive, uh, massive partnership between PayPal and NCR. And now they're talking about um, this is what the death of Square. Like I'm tired of these analogies, but. Uh, this is literally PayPal saying, okay, Square, so you might be in so many Starbucks. Now we're in this many restaurants. We're in 100,000 locations with NCR. This is pretty, pretty big for PayPal. Good move, I would say. Yeah, I, I, phenomenal move uh, for both NCR and PayPal. I don't think it's the death of Square. I think there's a lot of room out there uh, for uh, other players in the marketplace. Um, you know, and, and to illustrate that even you know, further, with throwing another name in there, you know, I uh, one of the speakers at Street Fight this week was Logan LaHaye from uh, Belly, and uh, and he shared some of their numbers. And I was shocked at the you know the millions of merchants that have Belly tablet uh, checkout uh, systems in place already, millions. <laughs> like, it's crazy, right? So so there there I mean, there's lots of room, uh, you know. Uh, for for around at the moment, but that said, this is a fantastic deal. What you're, I mean, you're talking about, you know, the, as you said, you know, the, the granddaddy and the great granddaddy, uh, you know, um, between the two worlds. Um, so uh, this starts initially with anybody who's who's you know any merchant out there who's using the NCR mobile payment uh, platform today will now also have the ability to have uh, PayPal to uh, uncheck it. So that's huge uh, by itself. Um, they, they announced it with uh, 23 retailers uh, uh, in this initial uh, uh, rollout. Um, you know, then then they're going to uh, 100,000 um, self-checkout kiosks as well. Um, and, and then you know, apparently NCR has 38 percent. I I mean, I'm, I'm actually surprised that it's not higher, but 38 percent 
uh, the top 100 restaurants in the U.S. use NCR, um, you know, for uh, for processing their payments at checkout. So that's a huge number. It's like you know, 40 percent market share. People. Like, that's a big number. Well, the, the numbers are, are insane. Two hundred NCR processes 275,000 transactions per minute and more than 300 million transactions a day. You can't tell me that this dwarfs what, what Square has done with, with yeah. just one, one retailer in Starbucks, even if it is 5,000 yeah, yeah. stores. But, but I still think there's still room for Square. I'm not saying, sure. uh, all I'm saying is, is I don't think this kills no. Square. I, I, I just think, you know, I, I think this is great for anybody who is on an NCR system today. Uh, now has you know PayPal at your disposal, and, and PayPal gets you know access to that you know vast, uh, massive network. So this is a phenomenal partnership. Yeah, you know it's funny though. PayPal is an interesting thing when it gets into the pure play retail business, like they are doing here with NCR. When they're getting into the real world, and I think this is the same with a lot of other companies that are getting into this. There's not a lot of difference between PayPal and my debit card and my credit card. You know what I mean? Like, th there isn't a lot of difference, especially when it comes to paying for goods in a store. Is that, do I choose my PayPal or do I choose my debit card? Or, or, or And I still, I, there is not enough incentive for people to make that, that switch completely away from a debit card system or away from a credit card system into some of these things. Same with Square. So, uh, you know, I, I, th well, this is a big deal, and I think it's huge for PayPal. And I think that this is one of those things that PayPal is trying to put a box around these retailers and say, okay, we own this. And NCR is the quickest gateway into owning 40% of the transactions uh, or, you know, a potential to reach into 40% of the transactions. And a small amount would do wonders for them without giving away the company, like I'm sure Square did yep. with Starbucks. So this is, this is an interesting play, but I still, I, you know, it, it's still all of these announcements still leave, leaves me a little bit lacking for any kind of real meat um, and, you know, around especially around paypal because they've got all the pieces here that can do so good uh and this is this is kind of a secondary option whereas what they have right now is a bunch of innovative technology that is sitting on the bench not fully materialized yet it's but i think it's a start and 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 i like it and i think for square boy i wish i hope they don't forget the small businesses that gave them the roots that that they have right now the small businesses helping the unbanked or the uncreditable uh, become creditable. And I think that that's one of the things that if they forget that and they start playing in a level with NCR, I think that that's when they get squashed because they start to lose themselves. So hopefully they don't forget that. Hopefully they don't. Still a big deal. Can we? Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, our fourth story, like, you know, have you ever used an ING bank or have you ever used a virtual bank or even you know, as many people are doing right now, doing all their banking on their iPhone or their smartphone through their banks apps. Well, uh, you know, here's a company called GoBank, um, launched by Green Dot, that is a mobile first bank. Right? I don't know what that means. Right. Do you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, for, first of all, I mean, you know, Green Dot's an awesome company. Yep. Uh, uh, supposedly, this this mobile this GoBank uh, platform that they've launched uh, is uh, is the result of their acquisition, uh, you know, last year of Loot, uh, which was one of the, the original location um, sharing apps. Uh, Sam Altman and his crew, which we, we talked about on this show a long time ago. So, at the end of the day, it doesn't appear that this app has much to do with the original Loot uh, product. Um, but obviously, they got a, a you know a very good mobile development team to put this thing together. Um, I have a hard time with this one. I've used ING, um, uh, you know, 
over the last couple of years, um, you know, I, I do like, you know, the, the virtual bank. I do like, you know, some of the services it can provide and, and lower fees and things like that. But I'm not sure that I'm going to go and, and hook up with a, a bank only because of, you know, the cost of a transaction fee, um, you know, to, to take out money or, or, or what have you. It, it, you know, this is really strange to me. Tough. I have to say, yeah. this is very, very strange to me. So, so basically what they're saying is, look, um, you know, there, there's, there's, um, you know, start banking with us today. Um, we're only going to charge you for a couple things. Uh, if you want to, uh, put a photo on your debit card, there's a charge for that. Uh, if you're going to use a non-network ATM, we're going to, there's a charge for that. If you're spending money outside the country, there's a charge for that. Um, or, uh, and this is the one that is the key thing that they're trying to build the whole message around this, this GoBank thing is, is that. You 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 pay you can pay a membership fee to have an account here, okay? But that membership fee is completely disc discretionary. It can be anything from nothing to nine dollars. <laughs> like what? Um, so okay, so like I'm just going to choose to pay a bank money because I don't have to. I, I I don't get it. I don't get it. It just doesn't make any sense to me. No. I I'm I'm with you on this. I, I think that the idea of this, uh, you know, you know, there's this eternal debate that goes on online, and I see it all the time from Henry Henry Blodgett uh, down to this other article that I that I pushed out, um, you know, where mobile strategy is a load of bullshit, right? And that's what they say is that you don't need a mobile strategy. That's saying like you need a laptop strategy back when laptops came out, and and I wholeheartedly disagree with that. And their argument really very much is about listen, if you're if you're a mobile company, if you're a mobile first company, well, way to go, you're screwed, you've screwed yourself. And and I think that. In one instance, being a mobile-first bank, really, there's no real benefit to this uh, because you get all the services like this in in a in a, a virtual bank like ING. Um, so I I don't I don't get this either yet. It, it, it doesn't make sense. They're they're trying to make the analogy. You know, when you read this re this release, they're trying to make the analogy that it, it, it's like uh, it's like music. So you know, Radiohead. Uh, the example yeah, they give is Radiohead comes out puts out a new album. Uh, but instead of selling the album for you know full pop of whatever they would normally sell the album for, they let people choose how much they want to pay for that music. I, I, um, and so they're saying, well, you know, we're going to do the same with banking. You choose how much you want to pay us to bank. That's how much. Like, that's how much money. That's a <laughs> you're a bank, people. You're not music. Like you're not giving me content that I live and die for. Uh, you are a bank. And that's how. That's how much money the banks are making. Oh, you know what? Whatever. We're going to make lots anyways. You choose how much you want to pay. But it's uh, so they're FDIC uh, insured, and they have no branches, no humans to talk to, which they think the way I read it is positioned as a benefit to this. No, no humans to talk to, and uh, there are 40,000 uh, 40, free ATMs that you can use. And what, what the other thing that they're pushing here is that you have a uh, they have a fortune teller feature, which says, "Listen, can I afford this purchase based on a budget?" And you know my income, you know my expense. So I think that it's a little bit of mint that they're trying to bring into this, a little bit of service like that, a little bit of fresh books action. They're jamming it in, and they're calling this a mobile first bank. To me, it's just a bank, right? This is what all banks are going to do. I don't think that this is entirely defensible. Yeah. And and I think that this is a we won't we won't know much about these guys in a year from now, six months from now. They'll be they'll be dis yeah. they'll disappear. This is uh, green dot fail. But maybe this is Green Dot building the mobile platform for banking for all the other banks, right? And I think that this go. is something that they can absolutely do is that if there's something that's patentable or if you look at some of the big banks that are out there, this is something that could be, they could just acquire GoBank and that technology and bring it in-house. And I think that that's something entirely possible. 
uh, trying to disrupt the banking industry from this aspect, it's not really disrupting. Fair it. point. That's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's uh, Green Dot launching Go Bank uh, with a looped team in, in there doing all the development. Very, I think. It's, I mean, I love the innovation. You got to throw stuff against the wall and see what what sticks. But this is uh, there's not enough there yet uh, to make it work for me. All right, our last story, Asif. I love these. It's like maybe our fifth story should always be just a quick video. I'm going to roll this. We're going to come back and talk about it because this is Red Stripe doing some awesome stuff in a local local corner grocery store. Take, take a look at this. crazy i mean for, for, i mean uh who doesn't want to hear you know little steel drums and uh, jamaican uh, uh you know music every once in a while and uh you know liven the situation up so you know red stripe uh really smart marketing uh going on here um you know nothing mobile uh about it uh yeah. but it's very location specific uh, uh you know obviously only happening in that convenience store a lot of a lot of elements had to go in to build that thing uh and pull it all together with all you know all the different pieces making sounds and so on um, but you see the reaction. You know, this is all about in-store experiential marketing. Uh, you know, creating a positive brand uh, sentiment uh, around around the product, and uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal job here. Uh, so, just well executed. Yeah, no argument for me. I mean, I mean, if you walked into a store and had that experience, for those of you who didn't watch this or who are just listening to us, just do a Google for uh, Red Stripe Beer Makes Music in London Shop, and you, you will find it. And and but what kind of experience with that? That would that would surprise me. That would I, I would love that. Highly, highly, highly location specific, not scalable, but certainly enough to create a marketing commercial for them that that has has done has got legs. So, way to go. I, I think this is the kind of stuff that is unique in the industry so red stripe you know i can't I, it just takes me back two weeks ago we talked about hijack these are the things that stick in my head the rest okay. doesn't right and i'm just the average of average intelligence right so 
That's it. Those are the five stories. If we missed yours, if you think that yours should have been in there, if you'd like us to talk about your company, reach out, robinandtether.tv or cfatthelbma.com. There was some great stories. Dominated. 40% of those stories, Google. 40% of those stories, the death of Square. 40% of those stories, the death of Foursquare. Man, that's, I don't know, that's the subtext in this, in this episode. So if we missed yours, reach out, let us know, and we will talk about you guys. Promise. Scout's honor, whatever that is. It's time for our guest of the week, our featured guest of the week. Today is Dan Foreman of Lumi Mobile. Lumi is a company that, that actually does surveys, that actually brings the data in. I know, Asif, you love the companies that take the data and push it out and crunch it and, and come up with trends. These are the guys that put that data in there. They have many, they've gone through so many revolutions as companies. You know, you think about it, the olden days, clipboards and a notepad and a pen and a pencil. Down and they've been disrupted by the web or the PC industry. They've been disrupted by the web industry. Now they're being completely disrupted by, by mobile. And we sat down and had a great conversation around the impact that mobile is having specifically on the survey and whether or not it means that the death of the survey is coming as a result of mobile and location. Pretty a pretty great conversation. The whole the entire conversation is up on untether.tv is one of the top um, episodes, the most recent episodes. But please, here. Dan Foreman from Lumi Mobile talking about the death of the survey. Is there is there a type of data collection that is best suited for mobile? You know, instead of trying to shoehorn something in that doesn't work, is there is there a type of data collection where mobile is just ideal and you could never have done it or you were you were kind of it was kludgy before and now when mobile has come up it's like this light has illuminated it's like oh, that's it. Has something happened like that? <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's two two sides to that. There's what I call diary type, and there's what you just alluded to there with passive. Uh, and you know, the, the diary type is that real-time, in-the-moment interaction. So example case studies. Uh, you ask somebody every time they see anything to do with snacking during the day to make a note of that and then to, to fill in their their snacking diary for the week. Now what you find in market research is that some people will make notes as they go through the day, oh, I just saw a Mars bar or look at that Snickers or wow I just saw some crisps or a soft drink or whatever they snack on and they will at the end of the day they'll upload these things or they'll do it at lunchtime on their computer or they'll do it at the end of the week. Some people will do that, others will get to the end of the week and think oh my goodness I've got to complete that snacking diary. So they estimate their behavior but still it's good, you know, it's diary based and it's an estimate. Now mobile, and there's lots of data to support this, you know, mobile is much better at recalling uh, points during the day, often having a, a photo capture element to that, uh, where people are experiencing snacking as an example. And typically on a given day you have more touch points, so based on mobile data compared to the old data, People see more snacking than they used to. Now they probably don't. It's just that they're recording it differently. So there's a there's a there's an assumption, a belief that it's more accurate now, and it's more accurate. And then the specifics of what you're capturing are far more specific. So more accurate and more specific. Now you know that's good. That's a huge improvement. Now the second area that you talked about, passive. You know it's been around since the early days of observation and observation in itself. You know it's, it's a fantastic discipline. You know some some great programs about it. You know, like like lie to me. You know about how how much you give away with out speaking, and 
the, you know, I think that the, the same is true uh, with you know passive data collection on mobiles. It's frequently done at a macro scale, but you, you can get very micro. And you, of, of course, you're in that danger there of getting huge data overload. But you tracking an individual during a day, you know, that's the you know, to an extent the original ethnography, uh, the ethnographic method, uh, without asking questions, but just purely um, observing. Now, to do that in human terms, it's expensive, it's inconsistent, it's biased, and your know, mobile isn't any of those things. You know, it's not biased uh, because it re can record everything uh, that you set. Uh, it's not inconsistent because it's recording everything, and it's not expensive because it just sits on your phone. Uh, and contrast that with the the alternative, you know, the the human intervention. A lot of people are much more comfortable with that human intervention, but you know it's just it's potentially transformational now you know it's, it's early days there's there's some good stuff that's gone on there's some great stuff around the corner that you know a huge number of people are looking at and it has applications you know way outside of market research too you know that that passive data collection in order to inform all sorts of other predictors you know by vertical yeah i think it, it you know it's hugely exciting and and i think that will be a big part of the you know the the passive data collection industry moving forward and you know how, how that sits you know vis-a-vis -vis market research you know it touches upon a lot of the things we talked about earlier uh which, you know i think is fascinating uh but you know one well you know one litigious case which has been around it you know is around informed consent um and it's, it's always been there you ask somebody for their permission uh to uh, to to share their information with you. Now that's fine if all you're doing is using what they tell you, what they physically say. If you're adding in yeah, um, interpretation of behavior or perhaps what they're implicitly um, suggesting, then is that informed consent? Because they don't know they're necessarily telling you that. So that's always been a, you know, a, a debate really as, as opposed to something which would hit the courts. But you know, these days that there have been examples of things hitting the courts where uh, people have opted in to have their behavior tracked, but they haven't necessarily understood what that means. So they, they've they given their consent, but they hadn't really processed what informed consent meant, and that's caused some problems. So, you know, there's, there's that kind of grayer area too with passive, which, yeah, again, I think is, is very interesting. It's something that needs busting out, but I'm also pretty certain, unfortunately, that there'll be other times where, you know, that finds itself in, in the kind of the legal arena too. Well, I mean, it leads me to question, uh, the, the, do, do you ever see a time where, um, okay, these devices are very, very powerful, like and everything, it's just basically a walking sensor, isn't it? it it's, uh, you know, barometric pressure to temperature to location to movement to, yeah, and speed and so all those kind of things, buying patterns eventually when it's all connected to a wallet uh, and a credit card and payments. So, um, you know, there's a lot of inference that happens, a lot of passive data collection. Is there a time when when that is the majority of the data that's collected, you know, where, where we as humans are no longer answering questions? We are just agreeing to be basically tracked passively and due to, you know, the the history of data that is collected. Like I, I use this example all the time. Debit system, credit card systems, these guys know exactly what you're gonna spend on what you're gonna spend. Mortgage companies know years in advance of whether or not you're gonna divorce or, or uh, you know, go bankrupt, right? Because of patterns that they've, they've modeled based on your current and future behavior or your current behavior, they're gonna be able to assess your, your, your future behavior without asking me a question. So 
I gotta wonder is that it does mobile usher in this era of the kind of this might sound weird like the the death of the survey the death of data collection or active data collection what do you think about that is that too is that too forward thinking or is it am I off my rocker no I don't, I don't think you're off your rocker um, <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> you know there, there's some people have talked about the death of the survey uh, you know, over the last few years, but partly in connection with this, partly in connection with social media, you know, that kind of live streaming of data and people will share so much. So, uh, you know, if, if you're getting all this anyway and you're taking a good hypothesis driven approach and you're a smart business person, why do you need to go and do a survey? You know, now, that, you know, that that's fair enough. Uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a very valuable point. Um, you also have, of course, the, the opportunity to do surveys for free. So if it's not going to cost you anything and it might just add a little bit more to your decision-making power, then why not do a survey? So there's that element too. But you know, with, with regards to this you know, great predictive capability, uh, I agree with you to a point. But there's also lots of times you're know, with uh, mortgage companies and so on that they don't get it right. You know, and I mean, you know, we find ourselves in a you know terrible global economic recession now. And if if all those financial institutions were that smart, then we perhaps wouldn't have found ourselves where we are now. So great that it can take us so far, but equally, you know, there's there's got to be a time when you you need the interception. And as we know, humans are the most irrational and the most unpredictable. So you know, we, we all do these things which just, just come kind of way left to field from time to time. You know, whether that's, oh, I'm in loads of debt, but I'm going to go and buy a Ferrari. <laughs> Look, I've just spent $9,000 on a deposit. You know, wh where did that come from? Who saw that happening? Now, you know, maybe somebody did somewhere, but it's not part of your standard model. So, we're, you know, we'll always have those things. Uh, you know, I do think, though, mobile's got a massive part to play and I think the, the traditional survey is under a lot of pressure uh, to survive you know, in any meaningful fashion. And that is Dan Foreman of Lumi Mobile. As I said, if you're interested in this whole interview, it is fascinating, uh, a deep glimpse into understanding how people, how these guys collect the data, how they're doing it as a result of mobile and the impact of mobile, what it's having in location on the data collection and the surveying business. Pretty cool. So if you want to check that out, go to untether.tv. As I said, it's one of the top episodes that you'll find there. If you're interested in Lumi Mobile, just go to lumimobile.com, L-U-M-I-M-O-B-I-L-E.com. Dan, thank you, man, for doing this. Really appreciate your time and effort. All right, it's time for our funding and acquisition space shortlist. Big news, first story, hey, is there is there a week we can go by without featuring a Groupon story, man? Is there is there a week like Groupon just bought this company called Glass Map? Uh, is this good for them? Will this help them? Will this save them? Uh, I'm gonna say no, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, they just you know they just keep they seem like they're grasping at straws, you know and stuff in, you know, from an outsider point of view, uh, obviously I'm not sitting in there with, with Mason and his team and, you know, uh, plotting uh, the, the next acquisition and, uh, and the roadmap uh, for the product, but, you know, um, GlassMap, um, good company, uh, they launched last, uh, last year, uh, in, I think around September, October time frame, um, you know, another location sharing uh, app, um, you know, kind of like Foursquare, they, you, can, you can either share your... Um, what city you're in right now, or share your, your actual uh, specific location. Uh, there's text messaging built into this app uh, as well. Um, 
you know, so how does that all fit together with, you know, uh, Groupon deals uh, or Groupon Now? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I thought Groupon Now already did that. I thought it already had its own location capabilities. And GlassMap, I don't think, has, you know, a big user base. So I'm not sure sure what the purpose of this is. You know, either it's another talent acquisition, like the Loop one for, for Green Dot. Um, uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't really see a lot of value. That's, I mean, this has to be an acquisition for talent. And, uh, and you know, certainly the guys like Facebook and Google are getting into this. They're buying apps. Or they're buying the talented people behind the apps that don't have a hope in hell of big distribution numbers. And they're, and they're bringing them in-house. That's what Google's doing. That's what uh, Facebook is doing. That's what Apple is doing. Um, so it, it, it makes sense that, that Groupon is doing this. You're right. Uh, there is not a lot of value in a company like this. Uh, nobody knows what the numbers are, but this has to be an acquisition. And in fact, I believe I read somewhere that they're actually going to shut this thing down. It doesn't make any sense to keep it going. And, and that's how you get engineers. It's the price of buying engineers today. That's what it is, right? Like, it's the price. And it's that, it's that thing that it's like you have, uh, you know, you, you have at least probably three years of somebody's undivided attention when you do this, when you acquire like this. So, uh, you know, I think that it's a, probably a smart thing because, listen, let entrepreneurs go out there, let entrepreneurial engineers go out there and build something of marginal value, but they're very talented, talented, talented engineers, and they understand the business very well that they're in. They just can't distribute it, right? Everybody has to be an entrepreneur in order to be able to do this. So go and let them out there. And then it's the perfect strategy is that you bring them in with a high value, do dollar value, on the back end. So you have to be here three years in order to collect 100%, right? So there's a there's an earnout for this. And it's really like a three-year contract guaranteed that you're going to be there for at least two, where you're going to be very productive during those two years. Maybe you'll, you'll start to think on the third year, I can do without that one third of the buyout because there's bigger opportunities for me. But it, it really is the bit, the best strategy these companies have, could implement. And and why, why wouldn't Groupon do this? Man, it, I mean, it makes sense. It does. So... Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, wow. so um, you know, if if that's what they've done here, then kudos to them for pulling that off and getting uh, you know a solid team. I guess um, if they're hoping to get something out of, out of the uh, the technology or the base, uh, I don't I don't see no, it. So, anyway. I, I I don't I don't think there's no way. I mean, because like I mean, what do these guys offer? They offer like show photos, uh, real time location. I'll pull it up here. You got photos, real time location uh, sharing. You've got uh, discovery. I don't know discovery and uh, free in app messaging. It's like yeah. I mean, you're you're so, one yeah, in a billion. I, I got it, Rob. You know, I launch, I launch my Google now. I get a coupon and then I can message a friend. Yeah, I know. It's just and then I can brag about the photos that that I've taken. Yeah. Uh, oh wait, wait! It sounds like a mashup of every other company that's out there. Isn't that called Facebook? It's called Facebook. And oh, yeah, they bought that company called, what's it called? Uh, 90 million users? Insta, Insta what? Insta what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Facebook. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. Facebook just started offering their, uh, you know, their, their free VoIP to any Facebook yeah. user. I mean, like, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. It, it's good that. Well, we'll, we'll leave that one for next week. We're, we've got obviously a big story to talk about in, in Facebook. Facebook yeah. uh, we've pushed it out for a week uh, around their new uh, search capabilities. But uh, yeah, so, so we'll, we'll leave that for we'll now. We'll leave Facebook out of this. But uh, so anyway, Groupon buying Glass Map. This is a, is this a glass half full or a glass half empty? We just lost nine users, nine, nine <laughs> listeners as a result of that, oh, including my mom. Okay, our, our second and our last story around fund. This is actually a funding. Uh, this is a company called Keep. They raised $11 million. Now, I, I have a small story to talk about this company called Keep. 
I was at uh, GigaOM Mobilize in 2010. Uh, 2010? Yeah, maybe 2011. These guys had just launched. They were uh, doing a uh, pitch presentation at, uh, at Mobilize and uh, was inherently intrigued by these guys and their founder. Elegant, elegant guy, smart guy, got up, it, just fearless. And I like what these guys are doing. In-game, real-world rewards. You like this too, Asif. I love this. Uh, you know, Kip is, uh, you know, for me, it, it, it is, a, is a great company that we have to be watching. It's all about mobile rewards. They raised 11 million bucks. They announced this actually back last summer. We did talk about it back then uh, as well. But the news that came out this week is, is they, at that time, they did not disclose who one of the key investors was. Um, and one of the key investors uh, is in Interpublic, Interpublic Group, uh, which is one of the world's biggest ad agency groups uh, out there, which is really significant because when you think about the rewards business and you think about brands uh, who might be providing those rewards, um, you, you know, it, it becomes really clear uh, that the role that agencies and brands can play in leveraging a platform like it. Uh, so they've got companies like, uh, apparently they ran 100 campaigns, uh, re uh, rewards partners last year ran uh, 100 campaigns, 75 different brands participated, Pepsi, American Express, Best Buy, Mondelez, I mean, like the list goes on and on. Um, they did a, a billion uh, actual reward uh, deliveries, um, you know, just, just crazy, crazy numbers, um, you know, in terms of what's going on here. Um, and, and they're already in 700 apps, 700 apps, 70% of those games to your point earlier. So they're also going into search and social uh, apps. Uh, you know, I don't understand why Foursquare isn't working with these guys. You want to start making money, Foursquare? You want to actually start providing some value? You know, figure out you can't do it all on your own. Yeah. Work with somebody like this. It would be funny. It would be funny to see Foursquare where you check into a Starbucks and you get a uh, you know a second cup. Five dollar yeah. discount, right, or something to that extent, and 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 that's what they do. So you achieve certain rewards inside of a game or an application, and and then what they do is they give you a coupon. So it's like, hey, go and have a coffee on us at this place, right? And and this this yeah. is this is so measurable, which I just I just love. I, I you know it, it's so measurable, and in turn it helps um, mobile app developers generate a little bit of revenue as a result of this because there's a kickback to those guys. They have a mobile development fund. I, I like these guys. So uh, check them out. KIIP.me. KIIP.me. These guys raised $11 million. And and obviously big investors, certainly when, when you get such a, um, a behemoth in the advertising community getting into them as well, I think this is great. So their their fund is called the Build Fund. Uh, just they're doing everything right. And uh, you saw I saw this two years ago. When they launched um, at GigaOM Mobilize, and yeah, it's so so intriguing to see this. These guys will not be an independent company. I do not believe that they will actually they will they will exit very very soon uh, yeah. because of the technology is so unique. Very cool. KIIP.me. There you go. So those are the two stories: one funding, one acquisition, and uh, you know if you had one, if you raised a little bit of money and you weren't in those stories. Say this every week. Please reach out on Tether or Rob at untether.tv or Asif at thelbma.com. We'll put you in there. We'll put you right between Groupon. We'll replace the Groupon story. How we talk about those guys too much anyways. Boy. So please reach out. Those are them. It's on to our resource of the week. We had a, was it last week? Two weeks ago, we had a pretty good debate. Last week, wasn't it? Last week. 
Yeah, two weeks two ago. weeks ago, we had a very good debate about the uh, telematics industry. And uh, so you follow this up by having a telematics update, Asif. Yeah, I mean, telematics update is, uh, you know, the de facto standard, uh, you know, publication group uh, in the industry. Uh, they put out a, a nice little in infographic here called Telematics Connectivity Strategies 2013 with some interesting data um, on, you know, different uh, things that they're seeing and trending uh, in terms of where the value is going to come from, you know, the role that app stores play uh, within uh, within the vehicle, the role that, uh, you know, radio and music uh, is going to play, you know, contrasting that with navigation information, tra live traffic information. So if this is a space that you're playing in, um, you know, in particular, you know, for for all those guys who are in the mobile location audience that, that we talk to every week, you know, that app piece uh, and that navigation piece are things that you you should be paying attention to in this report. It's not only what's happening on the phone, but it's also what's happening in the car. So uh, and that's why we want to bring this uh, this kind of stuff to you uh, today. So uh, so there it is, telematics update. Connectivity Strategies 23. And you can find that at thelbma.com forward slash research. And uh, that's where you'll be able to download that beautiful uh, infographic. This is such a hot topic now because CES had a whole bunch of announcements around Ford and about their app store, the the Ford app store. And and one of the things that struck me on this, Asif, was that one graph that, you, that I just pulled up right now. If you're listening too bad, it just says... You know what? Are, what are the crucial pieces? What are the crucial apps uh, in 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 automobile? And 45.2% uh, say that traffic applications are are crucial for them, but 36.4 said it's uh, important. Uh, obviously, navigation 55.5 said it was crucial. App stores 20.6% said it was crucial, and radio and music 29.9% said it was crucial. Now it, it's funny to think about these guys. One that that probably a year ago, if you asked anybody, an app store wouldn't even have registered. I mean, mm -hmm. Ford Sync was dominant back then, and, and certainly a few others, uh, like uh, Ottawa's own QNX. But now it's at 20.6% because app is now part of the language, the common language that we use every day. The other side of it is, is radio and music. Think about this, is that 100% of cars sold today, 100% of them in North America, and I'd say around the world, have a radio, have access to a radio. Yet 29.9% say it's crucial. And what are those radios that we're talking about? It's like Stitcher. It's like a satellite radio. Yep. It's like, uh, you know, RDO. Um, uh, it's all these other services on top of this that make that. And it's so weird that we're having that resurgence when it comes to, uh, you know, radio over broadband. Uh, it, it's pretty astounding. Cars are, are the next battlefront. And we've talked about that many times. We talked about that in our predictions, didn't we? Boom! There it is. All right. So if you're interested in that report, it's a pretty cool report. It's a great infographic to give you a good synopsis. Go to the lbma.com forward slash research and you can download that PDF. That's it, man. We are done. We're out of news that we've chosen. This was a crazy week. It's insane that this is only the third week in January and so much is going on and it's only going to get busier and you're only going to find great insight. Great, great, great activity like this or a great insight about what's going on in the location-based marketing world from this very only podcast on the industry. So we appreciate you sitting through this and uh, hopefully you've found some value. Reach out if you have a story for us, if you have some insight for us, if you have some tips, criticism, if you have some praise, reach out. You know our email addresses. I'll give them to you one more time. Rob at untether.tv or asif at the lbma.com. 
Yeah, you know, and the last thing too is, is you know, I just want to, you know, we, we love, we love feedback. Uh, we, we love hearing from uh, from people out there who are listening and watching, uh, you know, this podcast every week. Uh, it's really great, it, and, it's, and it's great for me when I get out on the road, like going to something like the NRF or Street Fight, and uh, and I get a chance to uh, you know connect with with some of the folks that are actually that actually take the time to watch this every week. So. You know, a special shout out this week to a couple of folks that I, I connected with this week. Uh, guys from Oasis, uh, the folks from um, Yodel, E Local, um, uh, a great uh, a great company in the local, uh, you know, local like hyper local, uh, you know, uh, call center and, and uh, listings business, um, you know, and and, uh, and Songza. So uh, you know, loved hanging out with those guys this week. So to close out the show, a special shout out to you. Thanks for, uh, for listening and watching. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week for episode number 114 of This Week in Location-Based Marketing. Thanks for hanging around. We'll see you next week. Steve, later, man. Cheers. Cheers.